last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with, and we kind of stuck around the whole subject of Pentecost. And uh, it's a big subject. You can't preach on Pentecost in one Sunday morning service. You could preach on Pentecost for a couple of years, in fact, every single Sunday, because the coming of the Spirit, the ear of the Spirit was so, it changed everything. Absolutely changed everything. The person of the Holy Spirit coming changed everything, changed the way we worship, changed everything. So we need to understand that. I want to just mention the last few weeks again that I've been dealing with Pentecost, the signs of Pentecost. And then um, I think a week or two ago, two weeks ago, we dealt with the supernatural power of tongues. And uh, we saw that there's 11 things, 11 reasons why we need to be praying in the Holy Ghost. And, uh, but this morning, I want to take another look. I've touched on this subject in the past, but I want to just delve into it again this morning. I looked at it again with fresh eyes, but I think this is the one now, you know. I had two goes at it, but I think this is the message now. The other two you can just write off and scrap in your memory, because I know you remember everything I preach, you know. And so you can write those off. But I want to just talk a little bit about, and we're going to go look at the epistle of Jude. Not sure who Jude was writing to, but he was writing to believers. Jude was writing at a particular time in history, around about, uh, I think about AD 67, AD 80. And so Jude was writing around the time of the Apostle Peter. In fact, he wrote after Peter wrote his epistles. It's very interesting that both Jude and Peter talk about the facts that the apostles, the Lord and the apostles spoke about in the last days, scoffers will be coming. And it will be mocking. It's very interesting that Peter mentions the fact, and so does Jude, as a sign of the end times, that the scoffers would appear. It's very interesting that if you study it, and it gets a lot of mention in the book that I'm writing, but when Peter wrote in his first epistle, he talked about the coming of the Lord. And of course, you know, trust the charismatics to get a hold of it and make it for something that's still supposed to be coming. But he was talking about AD 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And of course, Jude mentions in the last days, scoffers will be coming. And then Peter says, the scoffers are here. Because they're scoffing about the supposed coming of the Lord. Is that okay? So the fact that the scoffers were there was evidence in itself that Peter and Jude were confirming that they were very close to the end. And it wasn't the end of the world, the whole world. It was the end of their world. Jerusalem and its temple. Are you all with me? But Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. In other words, he wasn't um, conceived by God. He was conceived by Joseph. And it seemed that he only got saved some years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So probably because, you know, you don't take it from your brother always, you know. Just like we don't always take it from our wives or our husbands. I don't know what it is. But the closer the relationship, the less likely they are speaking from God, you know? Yeah. Okay, that was funny. That was funny. You can laugh. Even Bev laughed, okay? She's with me on that. But listen to what Jude says. Now, he's talking about these scoffers, okay? But anyway, Jude got saved, and later he's referred to by Paul as going on missionary trips with his wife and along with the apostle Peter. Brilliant, hey? Isn't that awesome? So now listen to what Jude says. We're going to be reading from verses 17 to 19. There's no chapters in Jude. There's only one. So Jude, verse 17 to 19. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers 
who will follow their own ungodly desires. And I want you to listen because I'm sticking with the theme of Pentecost. Is that okay? I'm looking at why was the early church so powerful? They spoke in tongues. We speak in tongues. They did miracles. We're still trying to catch up. Is that right? They had a powerful impact on their world, and we're still trying to make the same kind of impact. Whereas by now, we should have been much further along. So as I started to just pray about it and meditate on it, I thought, well, here's another facet for us to look at, another aspect of the early church and how they lived. So Jude now starts doing some vice versa, you know, uh, contrasting and, you know, pros and cons. He said the scoffers will be like this. They will follow their own ungodly desires. Now, you know, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that once we were just like them, we were under the influence of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of disobedience or spirit who is now at work in the disobedient. All of us also were like, you know, them by nature. We were objects of God's wrath. But praise be to God. God is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. He saved us. Amen. Amen. And so they follow their own ungodly desires. Listen to what he says. These are the people who divide you. Because they're ungodly and they follow their own godly desires. Listen to this. Who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. In other words, he's thereby saying that if you have the Spirit, we should be following the impulses of the Spirit and not our own natural instincts. We should be people of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, so number one, they've got their own ungodly desires. And number two, they're following mere natural instincts. And they're not driven, motivated, animated, moved by the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of people they are. Is that okay? Yeah. And that's what Paul refers to in Ephesians 3.19 and, and the verses following when he talks about the length, breadth, height, depth. That's what John is referring to in Revelation chapter 21 when he says the angel using a measurement, a human measurement, he measures the city and it was as wide as long and high and as deep as it was, you know, so it was a cube, it was perfection. Is that okay? And so we need to understand there's a vast difference between these people who are natural people that don't have the Spirit. The city of God is a group of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, come down from heaven. We look like the bride of Christ, but we are situated on Mount Zion, which is the greatest, highest spiritual force, because Isaiah said in the last days, you know, Zion shall be higher than all the other mountains. It shall be exalted higher than every other mountain. Amen. And you are, Jesus said, a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. Hallelujah. Amen. So he brings out two things. So the scoffers will follow their own ungodly desires. So in other words, they'll be ungodly. Second thing is, they follow their own instincts. They're natural people. They're not spiritual people. Now, Jude turns it around, and he starts in verse 20. And we've often quoted, and I quoted it the last time I preached in the supernatural power of tongues, that he gives us these encouragements. He gives us three things in response, actually. So number one, he says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. That's Jude 1 verse 20. But you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And we just pause it over there. So he says, all right, you need to be different from these people. You need to be building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Isn't that awesome? 
You know, the incredible thing is there's no faith, little faith, weak faith, quick faith, full of faith. But then here, Jude says, your most holy faith. Amen? So we need to regard our faith as something which is holy. And it's not just my personal faith to believe for something that's included. But what Jude is talking about is the system of truth that we adhere to. The body of truth that we believe, you know, our, let's put it in inverted commas, our religion is a most holy faith. And so Jude is telling us, build yourself up on and in your most holy faith. So that you are not ungodly and you don't have ungodly desires. Amen. So didn't Paul say to Timothy, train yourself to be godly? You know, physical exercise profiteth little. It does profit, but little. But godliness, you know, has got eternal rewards. Didn't Paul say in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Work out your salvation. Work it out. Work it out with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do according to his good purpose. Amen. So it's not enough just to say, Well, I'm born again. I trust Jesus. And da-da-da. You've got to work that thing out. Amen. You've got to work that out. He doesn't just want you to have faith to get into heaven one day when you die. You know, just squeak in through the door. Yay, my sins are forgiven and I just made it. He doesn't want us to do that. So let's put up 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to have a look at verse 3 just to just go on. It's not a sermon, but it's a very good start to the sermon. Amen. And it's not the teaching, but it's important for me to lay a good foundation. Then we can just apply a few you know, layers of bricks. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for both our natural lives and our spiritual lives. Amen. For life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. It had nothing to do with us. Diddly squat to do with us. He called us by His own glory and goodness. Verse 4, he says this. Through these, you know, his divine power and the knowledge that we have him, he has given us very great and very precious promises, amen, about which the apostle Paul says that all the promises in God, no matter how many there are, all yes and amen in him, amen. So there's no promise that God's given that we cannot access. So he says that he's given us very great and precious promises so that through the promises, through believing the promises, because it's backed by His glory, His goodness, and His power. And by believing, we can appropriate the promises. Then we will participate in the divine nature of God. Amen? And in the same process of participating in the being of God, we escape the corruption in the world. What is it caused by? Evil and godly desires. Is everybody with me? And so we're following Jude's encouragement. It's very powerful. We're examining why was the early church so powerful? They speak in tongues. We speak in tongues. They were more powerful than us. We're getting there. But hallelujah. There's something else. And he says they participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we participate in the very character and nature of God. Amen. So what he's saying, in Paul's words, train yourself to be godly. Jude's words, build yourself up in and on your most holy faith. 
So let's go on to verse 5. I like it. For this very reason, make every effort. Everybody say, every effort. That's not just try once, not just try twice, like striking the arrows. It's not just trying sometimes and then giving up. He says, make every effort to add to your faith. All right? Your faith in Jesus Christ, when you got saved, we need to be adding to that faith. In other words, something should be happening in our lives. We should start to see it after we get saved because we're adding something to our initial faith in Christ. He says, add to your faith goodness. Is that right? So in other words, that when people meet you in a few months after salvation, they can say about you, that's a good person. I mean, they're, really, they're just really good people. Amen. Christians should be the nicest people on all of the face of the earth. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is you become nice. You become likable. You become polite. Not like those other Christians in those other churches. You've got to be nice. What a nice person. And they're good too, you know. I mean, how many Christians have you met? You know, it's no wonder I heard the story once about this guy who decides to go out in the streets and he witnesses to this atheist and starts telling about Jesus, you want to get saved? And he goes, no, thanks, I've got enough problems of my own. Yeah, no, that's an ouch. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness to goodness, knowledge concerning the word. And of course, everywhere in the Bible, it's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, it's knowledge applied. All right, let's carry on. Verse 6, and to knowledge self-control. Everybody say self-control. Self-control. Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't have to control me. I'm in control myself. <laughs> Is that okay? You don't have to control me. I control myself. Is that all right? Or you can look at the person next to you and say, you don't have to try and control me. My husband already does. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. All right. Are you all good? And to knowledge self-control and to self-control person. Perseverance, those are one of those words you have to say it long. You know, perseverance. And to perseverance, what do you add? Godliness. Now let's look at what verse 7 says. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, come on church, we got to add what? Love. In other words, we should be growing in all of these things, building ourselves up. In our most holy faith. Is everybody with me? All right. So it's not the sermon, but this is, this is really good. Okay. We're just throwing foundations. Is that okay? All right. So let's verse 8. Verse 8. I know it feels like the sermon, but this is the build-up. Okay. For if you possess these qualities, listen to what uh, Peter says. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Okay. Now that's important. Everybody say increasing which shows that if you have those qualities already, we need to be increasing in those qualities. Look at the person next to you and say, keep growing. Keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. All right. In increasing measure, listen to what Peter says. This is some of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, they will keep you. These qualities will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you, I know by show of hands, how many of you want to become more effective in your faith? Amen. More productive in your faith? Well, Peter's telling us how. 
Jude sums it up and he says, in the face of the stuff that's happening in the world, you don't be ungodly, you be godly. Don't follow unsanctified desires, follow sanctified desires. Is that okay? And he says, and grow up in the Lord. All good. Amen. So uh, there's a little bit of repetition in this as we go on. But the second thing that Jude tells us is, he says in Jude 20, he says, building yourself up in and on your most holy faith. Some translations say by praying in the Holy Ghost. But I want you to understand, as we're going back to Jude 20 NIV. So I want you to understand that when Jude says, you know, I think sometimes we don't understand the mind of the writers when they were writing. But when he says, pray in the Holy Ghost, see there? building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and pray in the Holy Spirit. You know, I think sometimes we don't get the full impact of what they're saying. Because that word is not just pray in tongues only. You know, prayer like worship in, incorporates our entire lives and our entire lifestyles. And so when they say things like that, they say it with, um, it's a given that they take for granted that we understand that we know that they're saying you can't live an unrighteous life, but then be building yourselves up and fix it by just praying in tongues. All right? So he says pray, pray in the Holy Spirit. And yes, praying in the Holy Ghost does build up your faith. Is that all right? But it's broader than that in Jude's terms. In other words, he's saying you're not propelled, you're not impelled, you're not motivated, you're not driven by your own natural desires because you're no longer a natural person. Because when the Spirit comes inside of you, you are now a spiritual being. And you're so in contact with the Holy Spirit. In fact, He's so saturated and taken over your being. His impulses should be your impulses and my impulses. His will should be my will. So praying in the Holy Spirit. But he continues, and he says this in verses 21 to 23. He gives further advice. He says, keep yourselves, keep yourselves in God's love. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, take note of that verse, because now the sermon starts. Okay? So keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Listen to this. Listen, just log it into your brain right now. Hating even clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Okay? So we show fear to people. We reach out in mercy, but we even hate the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Is that okay? So just log that into your mind because it'll become, if I don't mention it, you'll be able to make your own connections as we go along. So I just want to talk very quickly about the establishment of boundaries. Everyone say boundaries. Okay. And it's in connection with what I'm speaking about, about us just growing more and more in the power of God. Amen. So we speak in tongues. That's good. We're growing in our faith. That's good. We're praying in the Holy Ghost. That's good. Amen. And so just very quickly about boundaries. Boundaries are very necessary. So a geographical boundary, for example, would be the perimeter fence around the church property. It's to demarcate our property, our area of jurisdiction that can also include that. And it's a sign to people that you stay on the other side unless you're invited in or you're welcome in. Is that okay? But then there's relational boundaries. Relational boundaries are important because it divides one person from another and it stops codependency and, and, and control and all of this kind of thing so that each can have a separate identity and separate responsibility and separate privileges. 
A boundary creates necessary space between individuals. Healthy boundaries define expectations and show respect for others. Is that okay? Yeah. That's right. And then personal boundaries. Personal boundaries. That's that thing around you called your space into which you don't like other people coming sometimes. Is that all right? So your personal boundaries are related, but it goes further than that. Your personal boundaries are related to self-control. Personal boundaries help to limit our selfish inclination to control or manipulate others. Okay, I'm going to go slower now because it got very quiet all of a sudden, so I know I've hit some mark somewhere. All right, so we're going to see law. We're going to repeat. We're going to stay here for a few minutes. Personal boundaries are related to self-control. Personal boundaries help to limit our own selfish inclination to control or manipulate others. Do you have enough integrity to give other people their own free will and not control them? Listen, it's human nature to try and control others. It takes in integrity, personal integrity not to. It takes personal integrity not to take advantage of somebody's willing service to you. Jonathan's saying a loud amen because I'm borderline taking advantage of his willingness to serve. Is everybody with me? And likewise, boundaries protect us from those who also themselves have selfish control reasons and who wish to control us. A person with clear, healthy boundaries communicates to others what is and not permissible, saying, in effect, this is my jurisdiction, this is my area, this is my life, and you have no right to interfere and impose your will on me. I think I need to do another sermon on boundaries somehow, because this is going, this is going in a direction that I wasn't intending it to go. All right. But there's spiritual boundaries. Everybody go, woohoo, thank you, Jesus. It's all for that one now. So, yeah, spiritual boundaries. Proper boundaries aid believers in keeping out worldly influences. Do you know the first boundary in the Bible? We find it in the book of Genesis where God said, you may eat of this tree and every other tree, but this one tree, you don't eat of it. God gave them a boundary, listen, for their own protection, for their own good reasons, for their own good. Is everybody with me? All right. So we're getting somewhere. We're taking, it's taking time, but we're getting somewhere. How many of you have repented already? Never mind. Don't worry. Okay. So spiritual boundaries, because Paul said in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, in your liberty. In other words, there are things that would want to come and take away your freedom. But not only are there things that would want to come and take away your freedom, we ourselves can sacrifice our freedoms if we don't understand the necessity of spiritual boundaries. We can give it away thinking that the freedom of the world is superior to the freedom that we have in Christ. Boundaries are safe spaces. Boundaries are protected spaces. Boundaries are a place of freedom in Christ and a place of blessing. You see, not only do you put a fence up to keep criminals out, you put a fence up to keep your kids in and safe so they don't wander on the street in the traffic. And they are completely free to go anywhere and within reason 
do anything within the boundaries of that space unless you take them to another space. Is everybody with me? We need to understand this thing of boundaries, okay? And so spiritually, I like what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? You know that being kind and friendly is Christ-like, but we are not to embrace the world's way of doing things. So that we relate to a point, but at a point we have a boundary. And James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Not to be friendly, but to get onto their level and to live the way they live. He says it's adultery and it's enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So our wish is not to keep people away, but when people are being destructive, the boundary we set can limit the evil they commit against us. Amen? So listen to Jude's words. Here it is. I'm going to connect it. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In other words, show the mercy, love them, but don't even get involved with their stuff. Jesus said it like this. You're in the world, but not of the world. Because we have boundaries. Has everybody got it now? Now, you're very clever people. I know I'm preaching at it to ACF. But boundaries are about taking responsibility for our own lives. God gives us freedom to choose to live within these boundaries or outside of them if we so choose. But to live outside of God's boundaries means to accept the consequences. Living inside God's boundaries brings blessings. Living outside of them brings destruction and death. So listen to Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, I forget which verses are, I think 6 and 11. He says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, I have a delightful inheritance. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. I mean, we don't have to look at the world. The world can offer us nothing. Amen? So our boundaries, yes, there are boundaries for us as Christians. But they have fallen for us in pleasant places. We don't need to go outside of them to find anything better. So listen to what the, um, the Living Bible says. The Living Bible says this about Jude 22. Listen to this. Are you all good? Talking about the boundaries. He says, stay always. This is Jude 22. Jude 22 NIV. Keep yourselves in God's love. This is Jude 22, the Living Bible. Stay always. Now listen very carefully, church. Listen. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. The Living Bible, Jude 22. Okay? Because when you hear it the second time, the amen will be much louder. Listen to this. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach you and bless you. See, this is what the early church did. They stayed within the boundaries of God's love. There's a power, church. We touched on it a while ago. touched on it in the leadership me- training meeting. There's a power, an inherent power, because of the transformed life that you have. But not only that, but there's an inherent power in righteousness and godliness. So first, we need to maintain, maintaining ourselves in the boundary of God's love. The first thing that we need to do to maintain ourselves in the boundaries of God's love 
is to fully understand, number one, his love for us. That love is so incomprehensible. It's so powerful. It's so unselfish. That love is so life-transforming. There's no other love like it. I mean, the love of God, Paul tells us, let's quickly look at Ephesians 3 from verse 19. Tells us, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, you know, from earlier, he talks about, for this cause I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And then he goes on in verse 19, and uh, he tells us, well, let's go back, to, let's go back a, a verse or so, two verses. Let's go to verse 17, let's see, the next verse, 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, so this is now after he's prayed what I just quoted, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So, in other words, what Paul is telling us is that we actually need strengthening, we need power via the Holy Spirit in our inner being for what purpose? Let's have a look. He says, first of all, to get a revelation of something, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, and that would be in his love, as well as your love for others, that you would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and how deep. Now, the NIV puts it poorly. Just swing over there to the King James translation, because that doesn't put it right. In the King James, it says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. That's Revelations 21. In other words, it's the full dimensions of our salvation. Is that okay? Then he goes on in verse 19 in the King James translation to say this, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasseth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The thing that I want to bring out by that verse is that once we're indwelt by the Spirit and He has strengthened our inner being, Christ may dwell in our hearts fully through faith. Then we begin to understand this incredible salvation that is ours, the perfection of it. And then we get a revelation of the love of God through Christ, and it brings about something that we then begin to be filled with all the fullness of God. So it's necessary for us to know the love of God because the love of God provided salvation for us. Amen? Amen. For God so loved us that he gave. 1 John tells us in chapter 4 that in this world we are like him. Fear has to do with judgment, but perfect love casts out all fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Is that good? So love perfects us. The love of God, love for God, his love for us and our responding love perfects us. It changes our lives. Amen? There's a part B to this thing that I want you to understand concerning the love of God. The love of God has no boundaries. Amen? The love of God has got absolutely no limits, no boundaries. He just keeps loving us no matter what. An incredibly good example is the story of the prodigal, how even though he ran away, he took himself out of the boundaries of the love of God, and he went and spent his inheritance and just squandered it until he came to his right mind, but he'd not taken himself out of the love of God. He had kept himself in the boundaries of the love of God. Because God's love has got no boundaries. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I'm going to qualify that statement. Is that okay? So in other words, 
you know, anybody can come back to God and they will find that God is not judgmental. God is not rejectful. God is not holding anything against them. God is not condemning them. We see the story of the prodigal son, how he was able to run back to the father and he was completely restored. Is that okay? So here's the part B of the no limits, no boundaries of God's love. And here it is, is that there is a place with the love of God that if you take yourself outside of that arena in which God's love can, you can experience that love, you will start to experience a lack of blessing. And so if we want to walk in the blessing of God, we need to stay within the boundaries of God's love. Amen? If I'm outside of the boundaries of God's love, He does not not love me. He still loves me. But He cannot bless me. He can bless me with one thing maybe, and that's repentance. And a bit of common sense to come back to Him. But when the prodigal came back to the Father, he came back into the experience of God's love, and he was totally restored. So Jude, Jude is saying, build yourself up your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost, church. But if you want to be powerful like the apostles, keep yourselves within the boundaries of God's love. So number one, we understand the incredible, incredible powerful, wonderful love of God, which Paul says that there's nothing, Romans 8 verse 39, there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. But he doesn't say there's nothing that can separate us from the blessing. We can't be separated from the love. Is that okay? Come on, when your children are, are naughty or disobedient, you don't stop loving them. Your action towards them has to change. Is that right? And sometimes it may look like a smack. Sometimes it may look like withholding pocket money. Sometimes it might, you know, look like you're grounded. But you still love them. Everybody with me? All right. So we're staying within the boundaries of God's love. Second thing, second thing is, the buildup was good and you got a lot out of it. The second thing is that we need to be continually growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I already mentioned that, you know, quoting Second Peter or looking at Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 9, because Peter goes on in verse 9. So maybe we can put it up, Second Peter chapter 1, and we can have a look at verse 9, because he tells us that those who've got these qualities in increasing measures, we're adding goodness, etc., to our faith. We're not ineffective and unproductive. But listen to what he says in verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see far off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Let's look at verse 10. Means this is powerful stuff. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do, you shall never fall. Wow. Isn't that awesome? And then look at verse 11. This one blesses the socks off of me. And he says, For so an entrance shall be ministered. Everyone say ministered. Okay, so because now Peter is talking about, in fact, the whole context of first and second Peter is the kingdom of God as opposed to rapture. He's talking about the kingdom. Is that all right? And he's saying, when you're adding to your faith all of these things, you're not nearsighted and blind, you're effective, you're productive, but then God, God himself, will minister to you an entrance abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord. That's not one day in heaven when you die. That's now. In other words, you will start to enter kingdom things. 
Everybody following me? That's what the early church was all about. They entered those kingdom things. So God ministered abundantly an entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that word ministered, and you know it's one of my favorite Greek words. The Greek word is epikorecheo, which basically talks about, it indicates that there's no limitation, a continuous supply. In other words, the more you're doing it, God is just continuously opening the things of the kingdom to you. The third thing is we need to be obeying his commandments. Okay, now that speaks for itself, isn't it? So John 14, verse 21 and 23, Jesus said, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me. Now I want you just to listen to the language here. You need to listen. Follow it on the screen. Anyone who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Can you see the reciprocation in the relationship? Can you see the response of God? What does that mean that God doesn't love me unless I love him? Is that conditional love, Pastor John? No, that's not conditional love. What he's talking about is you come into, you enter into the experience, the blessing of that love. Are you with me, church? And he says, he that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and listen to this, and will manifest myself to him. Woo! I don't know where Jesus is, and I don't know why Jesus is not doing this, and why don't Jesus heaven is not fair, and you get everything you pray for. Well, Jesus is manifesting himself to someone. Maybe we need to just go back and say, well, have I got his commandments, and I'm obeying them. Because that's the one that loves God. And then God says, well, I will love you. And Jesus says, well, I will manifest myself to you. I mean, this is powerful stuff. Amen. And I love, I love this verse in the middle. And uh, Judas, not Judas Iscariot. There's another Judas, the son of James, says this. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replies, verse 23 now. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jude's encouragement is powerful. It's not just to have goosebumps about, you know, a knowledge of the fact that God loves me and he will never leave me nor forsake me. There's implications to it. And we need to keep ourselves in the boundaries of his love so he can bless us. And then, fourthly and lastly, we need to be living a life of love. We need to be loving others. I don't know if you've noticed that throughout the New Testament, anything that God does for us, we need to do for others. He forgave us. So (laughs) we ought to forgive others. He showed us mercy. That's what Jude is talking about. He came and reached us. Is that right? So we're to show others mercy. He gave to us. We should be giving to others. So it is a sign that that we have received salvation when we become witnesses of Christ. It's a sign that we've received the love of God when we become loving. It's a sign that we understand His mercy when we become merciful. Amen? And so one of the ways of keeping yourselves within the boundaries of God's love is to live a life of love. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that you're to love others even as I have loved you. 
He just elevated above the law, where the law says, you know, just even love your enemies. You know, but Jesus took it to a higher place. And he said, you to love others, even as I have loved you. And that's a supernatural, divine love. Come on, church. So we need to love others. Necessitates loving him. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. Is that all right? So what added to the power in conclusion? Look at that, exactly 11. What added to the power of the early church is that they built themselves up in their most holy faith. They prayed in the Holy Ghost, and they stayed, kept themselves within the boundaries of God's love. Amen? Come on, church. We are seeing things happen. We're going to see even greater miracles and signs and wonders. I don't know if you've noticed, it's almost like weekly miracles now. And it's like, it's the things we've prayed for, we've believed for, we've stood for, and it's happening. But we must not become so acclimatized and accustomed to them that it becomes, you know, like, so what? But we need to be pressing further. We need to be pressing more into the Lord. Amen? I said it last week at Prophet John's church. I don't want one or two out of ten healed. I want ten out of ten healed. Amen? I want more people healed. This needs to be a cancer-free zone, a heart attack-free zone, a stroke-free zone, a diabetes-free zone, all of those things. You know that when people come into you, they walk into the light, they come into a household of miracles, a place of faith. Amen? But church, they also need to come in here and experience the absolute love of God, that unconditional acceptance. You know, they need to experience from us. That's why Paul says that, you know, to grasp together with all the saints the dimensions of God's love. Amen? It's not something you can comprehend on your own. It's together with the saints we get the understanding because I experience God's love through you. Amen. Amen? You experience it through me. The world will experience the love of God, not from God himself necessarily. In some instances it does, but they will experience the love of God through the church. What took a city like Lyon in France where they persecuted Christians? It was Rome dominated and run, where they take the Christians and throw them into the arenas with gladiators and with lions, and a young servant girl stands up and refuses. They can't even kill her. The torturers can't kill her. The lions don't eat her because of the incredible devotion and dedication to the love of God. And because of that incredible love, the whole city is won over. France is won over. Leon becomes a Christian city. Come on, church. The supernatural power of love. Keep yourself within the boundaries of God's love. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, Word ye hom. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just stand. Father, we just want to thank you for your word this morning. Lord, that we keep ourselves within the love of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Tammy. Come on, let's just raise our hands to the Lord. Let's apply the message to our own hearts and minds and understanding. And I'm not saying by the message that you're not growing in godliness. You are. But Peter says in increasing measure. Amen? Increasing measure. That we are to be adding to our faith all of these things. We're living in a testing time, a testing world. There's war in the Ukraine. Petrol prices has gone up. Half the time the electricity is off. Electricity is going up. Fuel is going up. We're living in a world where people have just absolutely lost the plot. More than ever, the world is looking at the church for the answers. Amen. And we're not to give ourselves over to fear, to despair, to discouragement. But we need to stand in faith 
in our Lord Jesus. And we need to still keep going with the message of hope. We need to be preaching it, modeling it, living it, sharing it in the wonderful name of Jesus. So, Father, as our hands are raised, Lord, we respond to the message that we heard this morning. Father, that we build ourselves up on our most holy faith. There's been no better time than now to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Father, in view of the challenges, it necessitates us. It's urgent. Lord, we don't have a choice. We need to be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. We need to be developing ourselves in the Spirit, praying, praying, praying in the Holy Ghost. And not following our own natural impulses, our mere instincts. Come on, we spiritual people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want you to pray. Lord, help me to keep myself in the boundaries of your love. Father, I want to thank you that you just help me to stay within the boundaries of your love. Keep giving me wisdom. Keep leading me by your spirit. Keep giving me revelation in your word. Ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart and mind to know and understand that, Lord, I walk, I live within the boundaries of your love because there you will bless, Lord. There you will bless. Father, I thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody agreed, said, Amen. So, Father of this block, I speak the blessing over, Lord, all of those standing in this block. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Within the boundaries of His love, there He will reach you. There He will bless you. This block over here. Because you maintain these two blocks. Because you maintain yourself in the boundaries of God's love, I can with confidence and with great authority say, the Lord blesses you. He sends blessings in your direction. Whatever it may look like, for those of you there, for whatever it may look like, the Lord sends blessing to you. Amen. The Lord sends blessing upon your family. I just want to tell you, Job says, others will be delivered because of the cleanness of my hands. May others be delivered because of the cleanness of your hands. Amen. May a, a broken world be reached because of the love of God that is shining through you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody clapped for the Lord Jesus and said, Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to just thank you for those who are watching via live stream right now. As I look at the screen and I look at you, I just declare you are healed in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ to speak healing over you. And the whole church agreed, said, Amen. Amen. Love you all. Be blessed. Have an awesome week.